Welcome to Women Who Lead. I'm Ann Thomas, and I'm here with my co-host, Luann Thomas Ewald, the Chief Operating Officer of C.S. Mott Children's Hospital and the Von Voigtlander Women's Hospital. On this edition of Women Who Lead, we'll talk about women and heart disease. We'll meet a Women Who Lead honoree who's been helping the community for a very long time, and we'll learn more about an interesting new report on the value of tuition assistance. We'll get started right after these messages. Welcome to Women Who Lead. I'm Ann Thomas, and I'm here with my co-host, Luann Thomas-Ewald. Luann, our first guest is Trisha Keith, the president of Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan's Emerging Markets Division. And Trisha is also the co-chairman of the American Heart Association's Go Red for Women virtual event that took place throughout this week in several different ways. Trisha, welcome to the show. It's great to see you. Thanks so much. It's a privilege to be here. And Luann, take it away. I know you've got lots of questions for Tricia. Good morning, Tricia. Thank you for being with us. My first question for you is, you know, I think last, I know last year, February 2020, uh, the Go Red for Women Detroit luncheon was probably the last social event we all had. It was so fabulous, as it always is at Little Caesars Arena. And this year, it's had to go virtual. So can you talk to us a little bit about the event for 2021. I can, and 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 it's it's so true. We had it's always so, so exciting to have people together, and and that was one of the last events um, of 2020 with over 600 women dressed in red and and, and some men um, supporting the event. And um, you know, as you can imagine, something as large as this, the planning for the next year starts the day after that that uh, that event. And so um, obviously a lot shut down immediately afterwards. And one of the things I think we've really learned in this whole thing is that we have to continue to pay attention to all of our health issues, all our screenings, everything that happens, even during COVID. And I know that was a challenge for so many people, but we were, um, uh, you know, as we went through and started planning for this year, it became very clear very early that we were going to have to do things very differently. And uh, and so that's what we did. And so we assembled a dynamite group of um, executive leadership, um, yourself included. We thank you so much for being part of that, um, to raise awareness and raise funds um, for this um uh, for this digital experience and the way that the community has embraced us and some of the things that have been happening through the month and through this week are just really exciting. You know, I think we, you know, we as women always um, put off ourselves because we're taking care of so many. And, you know, 2020, even though a lot of things have slowed down, um, you know, women have continued to focus on their children, their parents, trying to keep work moving. And so, you know, a theme every year is, you know, everyone, women, pause, take care of yourselves, get your screenings. And it's even more important this year because we know there's been a lot of medical care that's been delayed um, because of COVID. So can you talk about um, some of the sessions that were held this week and what those topics were? 
Absolutely. Um, and so it is so important to um, take care of others, but but take care of yourself as well. And so we're trying to remind people um, throughout, um, you know, throughout this entire experience about the the signs, about things to look out for, about how to take care of yourself. And, and so all during this week, there are a number of free virtual sessions. And the great news is that even if you weren't able to take part in them when they were live, they'll be taped and they'll be available at heart.org backslash Detroit, and you can participate and view them. So they were things like um, Women's Simple 7, the seven heart-healthy behaviors and markers, things like advocating for women and how to wield our power and raising our voice, um, blood pressure, talking about women's silent killer, um, an all-important session on stress and the impact on women's bodies, um, talking about a, a session on mindfulness and stretching your body at home, and then really critically, um, we were building up to um, our final uh, session that's available, and it's around social determinants of health that impact women specifically. And, you know, that's been, a, a, that's been our theme for this entire year and the entire digital experience. And we called it Faces of Heart. And we are, um, we are bringing survivor stories from women of all backgrounds and talking about the different um, things that people need to think about, the different ways that we all experience a lot of these things, and trying to make sure that people understand, like, regardless of your background, regardless of your history, these things affect us and we have to take care of ourselves and each other. So can you, can you talk to us a little bit about the, the luncheon itself actually went virtual um, can you can you talk about the the unique approach that we had yesterday and how we all still had lunch even though we weren't together? Yes, absolutely. And we we had a pivot quickly, and we called it a digital experience. And and um, you know there were, there was still a lot of um, a lot of energy, a lot of excitement, a lot of people who logged in. Of course, were still wearing the red and and doing that. But um, but we had we were thrilled to have um, Dr. Caldoun, um, uh, the chief medical officer for the state of Michigan, um, address us and and talk about the importance of heart. Uh, heart health and brain health, um, because let's remember the American Heart Association also covers stroke as well, which is you know so important to think about. And so we spent an hour together hearing those survivor stories, getting really motivated around the mission of the American Heart Association. Um, we had uh, we we encouraged people to have their lunch as they did it. That's why we've scheduled it um, over that, and we still felt a real sense of community um, to be able to come together. And then, frankly, we had some fun to raise some money too. In addition to all of the corporate sponsorships and all of the great individuals who supported us. Um, we also had um, some auction items uh, that were silent and live that were a lot of fun uh, to be able to support uh, the Heart Association in a different way. So Tricia and Luann, talk a little bit about why you both are involved in this and feel so strongly about it. Uh, well, I'll, I'll start if I can. I think, um, uh, you know, I think one of the things that we try to do at Blue Cross is really enable and build capacity in local nonprofits. And what what more could be possibly aligned with the mission of Blue Cross around access, quality, and health um, as, um, as thinking about health and wellness and women's health in particular. Um, and so uh, when I was asked uh, to participate, it was really an honor and a no-brainer. And so um, you know, from a corporate perspective, that's the approach. And then personally, um, you know, my uh, my grandmother died of stroke. Um, I was actually the one who found her during a stroke, and that was certainly a very impactful moment in my life. Uh, my mother had a stroke and thankfully has fully recovered. And so 
you know, I want to stop that history. I don't want that to be me. And, and so, you know, this has been a great lesson to me too, thinking about here are the signs, here's what we need to think about. Here's how we need to be proactive and very responsible for our own health. And so that's why I'm involved. And, and, you know, I think, you know, the, the state of Michigan is, is so blessed to have such wonderful healthcare facilities and, you know, the Frankel Cardiovascular Center here at University of Michigan and the Congenital Heart Center here at CS Mott Children's Hospital, you know, the top programs in the country. The goal really is to, we're happy the, the, that we can provide the services, but the goal really is to keep people healthy and out of the hospital. So that's, that's really um, my, my connection, um, making sure that um, us as female executives and you know, females you know, keeping this economy moving, that we're healthy so we can be healthy for our kids, for our communities and for our companies. So um, it was really a no brainer. Um, I've been involved with um, American Heart Association for many, many years. And you know we need to continue to push that message to make sure our community remains healthy. And you know, this event this year seems even more important than any other year because this has been a tough year for women working women and women with children and the fact that, you know, it's stressful. And I wouldn't be surprised that their health has suffered throughout COVID. So talk a little bit about that, Tricia, and, and the stress that comes with this. Well, I think you've seen I, I think you've seen a lot of the healthcare systems reaching out and saying, you know, you have to take care of yourself from COVID. You have to do the safe and safe things around quarantining and washing your hands and wearing a mask and doing all those all important things. But you also have to do your screenings and you need to see, you know, you need to see your physician. You need to go and take advantage of the things that you would normally do. Sometimes you can do it in different ways now. You can do it in telehealth, and we've certainly seen a rise in that. But it's just so important to do and and then it's also important about kind of knowing your risks and you can talk with um, your physician about that. But but thinking about, you know, the signs of, of heart disease and stroke and understanding that women experience those differences. And so understanding your risks and then knowing the signs. And so thinking about with even with stroke, you know, around, um, you know, around is your face drooping? Is your arm and your strength, you know, how is that working? Um, how is your speech? And then time. So that, that acronym FAST, thinking about what to do um, when you are experiencing those things. Don't put it off. Um, you know, I think we as women have tended to do that, um, but we need to be more proactive when, like, we know when things are not going right. And we have to make sure that we get the help we need, both on the front end to know the risk, to do the things about personal responsibility and making sure that you're taking care of yourself. And then when and if something bad happens, get it taken care of immediately. Go get help. And Lou, you talk a little bit too about being a working mom and having to, you know, work with your daughters about the pandemic and the stress associated with that. You know, it's, I think um, I am not uh, unique. We have, you know, I see our nurses coming into work every day, really trying to juggle kids and elderly parents. And, um, you know, I have a list of, I, I just made it this morning um, because. Um, everything I heard this week um, with our sessions, um, it really is important that even myself, I am behind on every single physician visit, um, <laughs> um, as well as the kids are. Uh, so really making sure that we pause 
and take an hour and get the appointment scheduled and make ourselves a priority. I know we make um, our companies a priority every day. Um, we need to have the same level um, for ourselves. So if, if this week taught us anything, um, it is to just pause um, and, and really because we are, you know, everything is on our shoulders as it usually is. But if the pandemic has taught us anything, we need to slow down and take care of ourselves. Trisha Keith, one more time to view all of these sessions and get all the information that we need to take care of ourselves. Give us the website. Tell us what to do. Go to heart.org backslash in Detroit. You can get access to all the sessions we talked about. You can see the digital experience. And frankly, most importantly, you can support the mission of the American Heart Association here in Detroit. And go red. Thank you. Trisha Keith, thank you for your time today and all the best. Thank you. You are listening to Women Who Lead. Coming up next, we are going to meet Women Who Lead honoree number two for 2021. We'll be back right after this. You are listening to Women Who Lead. I'm Ann Thomas. I'm here with my co-host, Luann Thomas-Ewald. And Luann, we continue the conversation now with our second Women Who Lead honoree of 2021. Miriam Nolan, founding president of the Community Foundation of Southeast Michigan. Welcome to the show and congratulations. Well, thank you so much. It is an honor and I'm really pleased to be with you. And I'm going to turn this over to Luann, who's going to get us started. Good morning, Miriam. If you could please just start out talking to us um, a little bit about your organization. Oh, I'm really pleased to. The Community Foundation for Southeast Michigan uh, was really founded about 36 years ago by Joe Hudson, someone who we have uh, lost recently and, and really uh, missed tremendously. Our, our whole job is to make life better for everyone who lives and works in the seven counties of Southeast Michigan. And we do that by a number of ways. But importantly, building the permanent capital, building endowment for the region, but also for nonprofits within the region because we need solid working capital. We know what it's like during a pandemic when you don't have that predictable capital. Um, and it's interesting because this is enormously generous region. Uh, we have grown to a, over a billion in assets and we've given away over a billion dollars in that 36 years since we've been founded in everything you can imagine. So we are really here to serve the interests of this entire region and our communities. Miriam, do you have, um, does the Community Foundation of Southeast Michigan, do you have certain pillars or certain causes um, that you like to fund or like to partner with in order to, to raise the whole community? Well, we partner with many other foundations and corporations because none of us have enough money alone to take on the really serious problems and questions that we face. Uh, I would just say that during the COVID pandemic, we looked for the places that others were not funding. So yes, we did testing and now we've actually moved to helping with mental health issues, but we also were working on sustaining small businesses which are so vital to many of our communities, particularly low-income communities. And we also are helping the arts because of all the sectors, 
uh, they just don't have any income because they can't really provide their services right now. So we step up in times like a, a pandemic, but we also try to be responsive to the best ideas that come to us from the thousands of nonprofits that need financial support. And yes, we have some other areas of interest. I'll give you one. And that is about 20 years ago, we started funding the development and uh, of greenways. And what's a greenway? It's a recreation uh, corridor across the seven counties. And why did we do that? Yes, it's environmentally very important, but more important, it helps people cross all those boundaries that we have crossing the eight mile boundary around Detroit into, you know, if you're riding a bike, you don't know where you're crossing. And we also know that during the pandemic, places that were safe were those that were out of doors. Kids could get out. People of all ages are using our parks and recreation quarters more than ever before. So we, we have a great, great diversity of what we try to, to fund and help people develop. How, how do you find um, how do you find partners um, within the community um, to help advance your mission and their mission? Yeah, it's it's actually a, a pretty easy because the other foundations in the communities are looking for ways to 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 really enhance what they can do alone. So we do, and we've had a long series of partnerships since 1986 with other foundations locally and nationally. Um, some people know us because we were very involved in the Detroit bankruptcy. And the grand bargain is actually implemented by the Community Foundation with funders from the Ford Foundation to the Knight Foundation to Kellogg, Kresge, you name it. Uh, we are still in the middle of funding that, and we will for the next, uh, I guess, there are about 20 years or, or 15 years left. So. Um, we just reach out or the people will reach out with us with ideas. We don't think up all these ideas. People bring them to us. Uh, we've done a lot of work with the Wilson Foundation on caregivers and a very important uh, uh, issue in our community. And also we're running a program for the social emotional needs of very, very young children. So if you had an idea or if a listener had an idea, we are eager to hear um, and we can be called or our website is is very active. So um, if we can think ahead on what's going to happen next, that's where we'd like to be able to step up and make something happen. Miriam, you've been leading the Community Foundation for 36 years. You've received a Lifetime Philanthropy Award from the Association of Fundraising Professionals and you must have a real heart for this. Talk a little bit about how you got involved in fundraising in the Community Foundation. Well, I was two years old, not quite. But, uh, <laughs> uh, I had worked at a community foundation in Cleveland and actually one in St. Paul, Minnesota. And it was interesting because uh, this region, Detroit, was the last major metropolitan area to have a community foundation. They are all over the country building this permanent capital to meet the needs of our residents. And so when, when Joe Hudson really took about seven years to build the idea here, and we were started with strong support from corporations and an amazing board. So when they uh, contacted me and said, would you come to Detroit? It's like, really? Um, 
why Detroit? But once I visited, it was clear. It was an enormous opportunity. And, and I love Detroit. I love the region. And that's why I'm still here. And, you know, we always talk about this on the Paul W. Smith show about how generous Detroiters are. I mean, it, it's amazing. If you ask, they will answer. Absolutely true. It's been true the entire time I've been here, the good times and the not so good times. People step up. They step up with volunteer time, but also financial resources because they're supporting the the organizations they care about. And now we know that, you know, they build our assets to over a billion dollars, which means we've raised way more than that because we've given away a billion. Who would guess? Now, many of our large gifts come through bequests. So we are helping people figure out how they can give back to the community in their wills and estate plans in ways that they've been doing their, during their lifetimes. And the 200 organizations that we're helping build endowments um, are being you know, heavily supported by their donors. And, and there, it's absolutely true that I think that this is one of the most generous regions probably in the entire country. Are there any big projects or any organizations that really stand out where you have donated to them and then thought to yourself, wow, this is just so impressive what they've done with this money? There are thousands and thousands, but I'll give you a couple of examples. <laughs> it's like we, asking a mom about their favorite child. I know. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, we've helped start a number of organizations uh, from Mosaic Youth Theater uh, to Arts and Scraps and, and many others, which are thriving today. Um, and we also find that we are um, now starting to help uh, police forces and sheriff departments work on uh, on uh, justice uh, changes and on policing changes, you know, policing uh, departments that want to work on uh, their use of force and, and others. Uh, we were really excited when uh, Oakland County found out about this and have given a million dollars to help departments in that county. So, you know, what what is the next issue? Um, so if someone wants to email me some ideas, we'll try to work on it. But we have great, great nonprofit organizations. And I have to say right now, they're all in need. They all need cash. And we hope that people will continue to open up as they have been uh, over the last year. Um, we've got more to do and more time to uh, take care of people. Now, when you say they're all in need, they all need cash, in large measure due to COVID or just the times that we're living in, what's your analysis of what we're seeing with so many people right now? Yeah, right now it is largely COVID. Um, the demand is up. Um, just think about food and shelter. Um, and at the same time, the organizations are in, in stress themselves. They've had to work off-site. They've had to figure out how to do their services differently, um, and that all takes money. They have to, you know, do some changes in their facilities. So, I think that um, we'll come out of this. Uh, but this is a time when, when it is true that resources are tight and demand is up. Miriam Nolan, thank you so much for your time today. Congratulations again on your 
Women Who Lead Honor. And we will look forward to talking to you later in the year on the Paul W. Smith Show for the big ceremony. Thank you so much. And thanks to all those in our region who are so generous. Thanks for highlighting that. You are listening to Women Who Lead. Coming up next, we are going to talk about the importance of tuition assistance for students who really need it. We'll be back right after these messages. On this last segment of Women Who Lead, we welcome Katherine Brown, a senior advisor with the Institute for College Access and Success. Katherine, welcome to the show. It's great to meet you. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. And Lou, I'm going to let you kick things off. Good morning, Catherine. Thank you for being with us. Um, you know, having having access to college education and tuition reimbursement is so um, is so important. I mean, I as as we talk to you about, I work in the healthcare industry, and we have so many pockets of um, careers where there's a shortage. So, can you talk to us a little bit about? Um, access to college to really help keep our industries moving. Absolutely. Um, And thank you so much for having me, Lou. You are absolutely right. College is um, the most proven uh, opportunity that can help people lift them out of poverty and attain a family sustaining wage. And uh, it's just critical ingredient for our economy. And right now in the middle of COVID, what we've seen is a lot of people from low-income families in particular are dropping out of college or are not enrolling at the rates that we have seen in the past in Michigan alone. Um, We've seen um, uh, a 9% decline in college enrollment overall. And nationwide, we've seen a 19% enrollment in community college, which tends to be where more students from low-income families enroll. So it's it's a particularly urgent time to get students the tuition assistance they need to keep them on track to, to finish those degrees and get the benefits. And, you know, recently, you know, there, there's been um, co- media coverage about providing tuition for um, those over the age of 25 into community colleges. So talk about um, the impact of that, we see, you know, we know there's been a lot of unemployment um, due to the pandemic. And, you know, this, from my perspective, this, you know, this sort of gives a second option for people to be able to sustain their families and themselves. So, can you talk a little bit about that announcement? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and typically in a recession, you do see more students go back to college because there are fewer jobs. But this has been such an unusual crisis that we've faced that a lot of people, because they have caregiving responsibilities, because they have students, children who are home doing online schooling, it's been we haven't seen the same trends in enrollment. So, you know, one of the biggest barriers is affordability and tuition assistance can really help people see that it is a path that is possible for them to go to college and and get that degree. And, you know, uh, the state of Michigan has has several initiatives underway to try to get more people to go to college. Um, We just released a paper recently on the tuition incentive program, which is a real gem that the state of Michigan has and probably a little bit under advertised, but something we wanted to raise awareness about because it's very well targeted at students who are unable to afford college. Um, And what's particularly exciting about it is that it 
covers tuition and fees, and then students who qualify can use the federal Pell Grant to pay for their living expenses. Mm -hmm. And actually living expenses, housing, food, childcare, are often some of the biggest barriers. You, you know, tuition is really important, but it's the whole package, including delayed employment. You know, you're giving up earnings when you go to college that make it hard to, to afford it. So the tuition incentive program is just really special and a model for other states because it allows you to pay for both tuition and fees and your living expenses if you qualify. Um, you're completely right. The state also recently launched the Michigan Reconnect program, which is exciting for students who are over 25 to provide them with tuition at a, at a local community college. Um, and that's another really vital path that students can take advantage of this year. I, I remember years ago when we were in a recession and the big three had so many layoffs. We had, um, I remember about 18 to 24 months after that, um, we had a flood of healthcare um, folks who, you know, left the auto industry, went and, you know, became trained to be a medical assistant or a pharmacy tech. And so we had a nice, you know, while the auto industry was struggling, we had a nice pickup on um, the healthcare side. So can you talk a little bit um, to our listeners who may be hesitant about wanting to make that leap from one career to another and the, the, the value that this training can provide? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's really no question about it. Um, if you, you know, the earnings benefit, for example, of a bachelor's degree over a high school can be as high as $1 million over the course of your lifetime. Um, a community college associate's degree can come in around $400,000 compared to the high school degree. So there are, even though in the short term, you may you know, have to spend more money on tuition and those fees and those housing assistance, uh, you know, you're paying your rent and paying for food and then not receiving the earnings that you lost from your previous job, over the course of your lifetime, it's such a good investment to go to college. And it's just, it's one of the best investments you can make in yourself and your family. And you're, you're right, our community colleges play a really vital role in helping people retrain and find different avenues that are in demand in Michigan. And Catherine, can you explain to our listeners how Michigan's current tuition incentive program works? Sure. It's really um, an interesting and unique. And we did uh, a scan of states across the country and found very few programs that are like this. So it's um, it's a really neat model. But basically, for families who have uh, received Medicaid between the age for, for children who live in families who received Medicaid, which is a health insurance program for low-income families between um, sixth grade and 12th grade, so very young children, for two consecutive years, they are able to access free tuition and $500 of fees at a community college. So basically it says, you know, if you come from one of these pretty vulnerable families who we know are gonna struggle to afford college, we're gonna help you and we're gonna pay for your tuition and fees to get you through community college. And they communicate that very early. So as young as sixth grade, students get notices that say, hey, you qualify for this program. And it's, it was originally designed as an incentive to get students to complete high school and then go to college, which is, you know, just really unusual and really special. You know, the other thing that seems to hold some people back is worrying about how hard it is to apply for aid. What kind of advice would you give to parents out there about that? Um, 
Well, one piece of good news is in the recent federal legislation, they've simplified the the, um, federal application for free student uh, financial aid, which is the key to unlocking the Pell Grant and also actually state financial aid. The tuition incentive program depends upon students completing the FAFSA, and it's a lot shorter than it used to be, or they're going, they're in the process of making it a lot shorter. And mostly I would say, you know, there are lots of counselors, the state runs um, a hotline, uh, the Michigan College Access Network has people on board to help you. There are a lot of resources to help you complete this form, and it may seem daunting, but it really unlocks millions and millions of dollars of aid that will make it possible for you to afford college. So please give it a try. You know, the other thing that's interesting is Governor Whitmer has introduced the Michigan Reconnect program, and that is in her budget proposal. And that's another really interesting program to help people, Michiganders who are 25 and older and may, for whatever reason, not gone to college or not have been able to afford college. Talk a little bit about what you think about that and how that could be really helpful to many residents in the state. Well, I think the Michigan Reconnect program sends a message to students who may not have completed college or may not have seen college in their future that, you know, the state is going to provide resources for you. And so that alone is just really important. And lots of students have been drawn in knowing that those resources are available. Um, You know, it's still going to leave gaps in affordability, which is, I think, important to note. And that's where the federal aid and the tuition incentive program and other aid can come in. Um, because there are these additional fees, and there's a lot more to affording college beyond tuition. And, you know, at the end of the day, it would seem to me that an educated workforce is just better for a state overall. It's a, a state makes a state a better place to live, work, and play. What are your thoughts about that? Absolutely no question. The research on this is very clear. Uh, having a highly educated citizenry has lots of benefits from reduce public assistance, to more economic activity, to lower crime rates, to um, actually civic benefits, higher levels of voting. Uh, it's, it's not only is a, having a college degree very beneficial for the individual, for their family, but for society at large and for our state. And Lou, what about you? In the position that you're in as the chief operating officer of CSMOT and the Von Voigtlander Women's Hospital, this must be an important topic for you, too. Well, it's it's very important. And, you know, we were in conversations with Washtenaw Community College because they supply so many of our, um, our medical techs. Um, that's where a lot of our nurses start, really. So it's it's um, we all are in this together. So while we are the University of Michigan, um, you know, we have needs in all different all different areas, and a lot of them really start in a community college setting. So um, very, very, very important um, as we, we talk daily about gaps um, that we have within the health system. And that's just a health system. That's not, you know, in <laughs> manufacturing or so, you know, I know how, how much of our time it takes really trying to strategize how to get people into these programs um, so we can continue to take care of our patients. And, you know, manufacturing is another field, too, where you need an education now to be operating that machinery because a lot of it is computer-based. 
I think it's worth pointing out that um, one thing the state of Michigan really could do to increase access to college for the students, the people in our state, is to increase the amount of money going to post-secondary education. Um, because uh, of disinvestment throughout the state, we actually don't have the same levels of investment that we had even going back to 2009. And when you compare Michigan to our Midwest neighbors, we're one of the lowest states for investing in college. And so all of the benefits that you're talking about are absolutely right. And there is more that the state could do right now to help students really unlock the potential of a college education. And is the state receptive to these conversations, Catherine? We have found great receptivity, especially to financial aid. Across party lines, there's real interest, and the state made some very significant improvements in the tuition incentive program last year. We highlight in our report that we think there are about 77,000 students who are eligible for TIP enrolled in college but not accessing it, and they took some very important steps to kind of make it easier for students to get that aid. So we're hopeful that in the coming years, more uh, money will be going to financial aid, obviously the ReConnect program, the Futures for Frontliners. So there is momentum, but um, we need to do more to catch up with our neighbors and position the state to be competitive. Catherine Brown, Senior Advisor with the Institute for College Access and Success. It was nice to meet you and learn more about this report and about college access. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great day. You've been listening to Women Who Lead. On behalf of my co-host, Luann Thomas Ewald, thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend.